Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. I am one of your hosts, Miss Malmoy. I'm Mr. Craigers. I'm the other host. Yes, he is. And today we are talking about a a thing we have not yet talked about, shockingly, um, on the podcast. As we mentioned last time, um, you know, this one's not... We're getting away a little bit uh, the next couple... Well... I guess, until July from our talks about horror film and horror TV show and horror movies into kind of the more um, cultural, spooky things. Uh, last week, or whenever you listen to it, we talked about uh, campfire tales and local urban legends in different places. Um, after I stumbled upon a interesting bit of information uh, via a Reddit thread... Uh, and shared it with Mr. Kregers, uh, we decided we were going to devote today's episode to the Society of the Woman in the Wilderness. What is it, you ask? <laughs> nobody knows because nobody talks about it. Um, um, so, anyway, computer's doing fun things. Woman in the Society of the Woman in the Wilderness. So, what is that? It is a doomsday cult. And it's not just any doomsday cult. It is America's first doomsday cult. What? The first one. So we're going to talk about that. Maybe talk about a couple other doomsday cults. Uh, tell you what the hell is a doomsday cult. Um, and we're going to get into this very strange thing. We haven't really... T- we've talked about urban legends and cults have figured and that sort of thing. And sort of, you know, the idea of worship of esoteric things. But we've not devoted a whole episode to any of that stuff specifically outside of stories that they show up in. So today is all about the doomsday cult. Yeah, this is kind of exciting. I'm also kind of like, um, I'm surprised at us that we've gone 65 episodes without talking about cults all that much. Especially because like we essentially, we are a cult. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And especially like, just because, you know, I feel like we have both, outside of this podcast just in our lives as friends like express an interest and a fascination with cults and yet here we are talking about it for the first time 65 episodes in but it's exciting and you know a bit of a, a bit of a change from talking about movies all the time as miss mel said yes yes <clears throat> but before we get into all things cultish all things doomsday all things philadelphia Spoiler. Um, we got some horror headlines, perhaps, maybe. There's some fun things coming up uh, next week, even. Yeah, definitely. It's We are kicking into high gear. There's horror news getting dropped left and right these days. It's yeah. hard to keep up. Um, what I'll say, uh, I'll say this. This is what I'll say. (laughs) I'm very excited uh, about Scream Season 3. There we go. Okay. Scream (laughs) Season 3, which was announced today, today, the day of this recording, um, will air on VH1, like, in two weeks. Hasn't it been, like, two and a half years or something since the last one? (laughs) Since the Christmas special where they, like, hinted at... Right. Where they were like, oh, but then they were like, oh, and then in season three, it's going to have nothing to do with anything from the first two seasons. And everyone was like, cool, great. Yeah. But that said, it actually looks pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we talked before about how we were impressed with how they kind of made their own thing with Scream. Yeah. That said, (laughs) according to the trailer for season three... The new season will utilize the ghost face mask. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Well, they did when they did Scream Four. They did want to turn it into a reboot. Like they wanted to do another two movies, and it ended up not happening. So I'm wondering if this is them living out that sort of concept that they wanted to. It might be because it's it's down to the like specific metrics. It's the same voice, the Mm -hmm. voice in the movies, not the voice that's used in the first two seasons. The cast looks way more adult. Um, 
I think they're going for a much more movier, grittier feel than yeah. that sort of teenish Riverdale feel that yeah. the first two seasons had. I'm pretty excited. That sort of came out of nowhere, and I'm actually looking forward to that. Nice. So that's the headline I wanted to highlight. How about you? Um, well, just the same <clears throat> thing that I'm, I've been counting down to, I think, every, every time we've done this now, is Midsommar. It's basically finally upon us. Ari Aster's professed last foray into horror. Uh, for now. For now. Um, <clears throat> that is, you know, hereditary, but in daylight and pastels. It's going to be great. Kim. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. And, you know, we've got Stranger Things next week as well. Stranger Things. Riley Sager's new book will be out. Yes. Um, Block Every Door. Lock every door. Lock every door. Yeah. Um, the new Child's Play movie is mm. out right now. The reboot of that franchise. I'm seeing fairly decent things. Oh, the um, season two of Dark came out on Netflix. Season two of Dark is out. That's right. Um, what else? What else? They announced the release date for The Lighthouse. Mm. Uh, the next film from David Eggers, director of The Witch. Uh, that will be released on Christmas Day. <laughs> uh, yeah, all kinds of stuff happening right now, you guys. Pretty great. Pretty cool. Pretty nice. fun. Pretty nice. sexy. Pretty sexy. Fun so, shit. So cults, right? So cults. So first of all, I guess we should start with what is a doomsday cult? What is a doomsday? Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. No. No, no. We just lost all... Six um, <laughs> the opening of my Webster's Dictionary defines success as... <laughs> so, as I understand it, a doomsday cult is a specific kind of cult mm -hmm. that um, focuses or revolves around apocalypticism. Yes. <clears throat> yes. It's, not, it's not just... Because there are cults that have, you know... That are cults. Yeah, that are yeah, they're just whatever, self isolation and crazy teachings and what have you. But they have nothing to do with the end is coming and where the chosen ones are, yeah. where the ones are going to be saved or whatever. Yes, Doomsday Cult is one that is focused on an end time scenario, mm -hmm. as yeah. I understand it. Yeah. Yeah, that's generally the idea. And the end time scenario, although it's often biblical, doesn't have to be. It can be a natural disaster. It can be aliens. It can be anything that results in, like, the end of the world. Um, and I'm not sure how far back they go. This cult that we're going to talk about is the first one in what would become the United States, in, in the colonial portions of North America that we know of. Um... But I have to imagine they probably started around the same time that the idea of the end of the world started with, you know, the writings of, you know, the Book of Revelations post-death um, of Jesus of Nazareth, you know, discussions of that sort of thing. Um, so I imagine they are a lot older than we think they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that virtually every generation... Um, has had some form of doomsday cult, some form of thinking we're the last uh, generation. Um, but this one in particular is goes back to the 17th century in 1694. Actually, actually goes back a little bit farther than that, but that's when uh, we're going to dive in. But common doomsday cults that you'll hear about are like Jonestown, Waco. <clears throat> um, I think even Manson's was... A, his was a doomsday cult. The idea of Helter Skelter was an apocalyptic. Right. He wanted to bring about the, I don't, it was weird. I think yeah, you could. Yeah, it was like the whole, like the race war is coming mm -hmm. and everything will topple and we will rise. Uh, yeah. I think it's like a pseudo doomsday cult because it was more cultural and sociological than normally. These are very like um, prophetic and they've got a deep mythology to them. Um, <clears throat> right. And the Manson family never turned the violence back on themselves, mm -hmm. you know, in the way that we see in a lot of doomsday cults with like mass suicides, yeah. Jonestown, uh, Heaven's Gate, what have you. Yeah. 
Um, so essentially, that's what a doomsday cult is. You study them in your AP psych classes and your true crime stuff. They're weird and they're interesting. There's a lot of psychological studies about them that you can read. Um, there's this great book called When Prophecy Fails, <clears throat> um, written by, I think it was more than one author, but it was basically about the social psychology of what goes into a doomsday cult. Mm. But let us go back now to, let us start in 1667, actually. 1667. <clears throat> when a, a young fellow named Johannes Kelpius is born um, in a place I can't pronounce because mm-hmm. Romanian language. Um, but Johannes? Johannes Kelpius. So. Yo- Johannes Kelpius. The, so he was born so in... Germanic? Yes. Germanic and... Um, uh, Romanian, because he was born in what was ah. then Transylvania. Interestingly enough, the village he was born in, um, which I'm going to take a crack at and say it is pronounced Sigosoria, something along those lines. I apologize. Um, <clears throat> has another. All the listeners from Sigosoria are going to find you now. Yes, they're going to, yes. Um, but it has another famous denizen. Uh, who was born not far away, um, or was born in the village itself. Can you guess who this famous Transylvanian was born in this village? Was was it someone who very much enjoyed impaling things? It was! <laughs> wow! Yes, uh, that has nothing to do with anything other than that it makes the story a lot creepier. Mm-hmm. Is that our Johannes Kelpius, future leader of this cult, was born in the same village in the heart of Romania as uh, Vlad Shevesh. So this village hasn't exactly produced some winners. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, it looks nice, I guess. Picturesque. Deadly. I don't know. But <clears throat> Johannes Kelpius um, is drawn to <clears throat> this thing called pietism which is a form of Lutheranism that basically is Lutheranism, Lutheranism on steroids. So the idea of the schism that happened between the Catholic Church and Martin Luther is that Martin Luther wanted to do God and his thing by himself. The Catholic Church wanted order. Pietism... Hashtag 93 theses. Yes. Hashtag. Um, <clears throat> pietism is basically taking Lutheranism to, like, the next level. Like, super spiritual, personal relationship with the divine. Like, it's basically like a cult version of, or what you might imagine would become a cult version of Lutheranism. It involved meditation. It involved things that a lot of people considered heretical. Uh, It was esoteric and all that. Everything that, you know, just everyone was scared of in the 1600s. And sorry, he spearheaded this movement, or he was no, just he was drawn to it. To it. Okay, um, he was drawn to it while he was at a uh, university, um, at the University of Altdorf. Oh, okay. Uh, in so Nuremberg. he was like relatively, relatively well off if he was. Yes, he's a he's a monk. He's a he's a learned guy. Um, okay. So he's at university. He be, he becomes drawn to this idea of Pietism, um, and he becomes a follower of Johann Jacob Zimmermann who is a huge guy in pietism. He's also an astronomer and a mathematician and like a pastor and, you know, like that thing where everyone was everything in the Middle Ages. Uh, like, yeah, <coughs> a literal everyman because he's everything. Yes. And he starts this, he's the leader of this, this group called the Society of the Woman in the Wilderness. Sounds ridiculous. Where they draw their name from is an obscure character in the Book of Revelations, uh, an unnamed woman who goes into the wilderness to shelter from the apocalypse. And they are like, we need to follow her example, because the apocalypse is coming. The Society of the Woman in the Wilderness believed the world was going to end at the turn of the century in 1700. And they're like, we have to wildernize like this woman to, to, to survive. I love that they're basically... Okay, so they're like the original Y2K bunch. Essentially. (laughs) Yes. Um, 
And Zimmerman, I don't know if he, I think he might have like sort of spearheaded this. I don't know if these were his original ideas, but the point is, is he becomes the face of this idea and then suddenly he dies. What happened to him? He just died. Oh, we don't know. Yeah, he just died. It was, it was just, it was over. (laughs) It was over. It was done. Uh, Zimmerman dies and Kelpius, who at this point had been his protege, now becomes the leader of this society. And Mm -hmm. they head over to the new, right? They head over to the New World with 40 people because 40 was an important mystical number to them. So 40 of their followers go... <laughs> so were there more followers and they were just like, no, you can't come. Yeah. You have to stay. <laughs> you have to stay. What are we supposed to do? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I Find your it. own wilderness. Find your own wilderness. So Kelpius and 39 of his closest friends... Um, travel to the new world and Kelpius actually kept a diary so we have a lot of this information firsthand oh yes yes so um we know that they traveled aboard a boat called the Sarah Maria Hopewell Mm. um with several other well-known um who would become I think well-known like German colonials in the area um they land in Maryland and they head for Philadelphia because they heard that the Penn's colony was the one of religious tolerance and, you know, mm. pietism as, as Lutheranism wasn't super loved in Europe. Pietism was definitely not loved and also a cult. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure if they had a concept for cults yet, but they probably like, this doesn't seem. Well, they probably didn't have a concept for meditation. So like, what mm-hmm. are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> there with your eyes closed. Are you asleep or not? Get yeah. out. <laughs> <clears throat> so they head for the small town of Philadelphia, which had about, at this time, 500 houses, some fires, some sure. local market some stands, goats. Some, some goats. Uh, it's a small little town. <clears throat> and, but that was too civilization for them. They're like, no, we need the wilderness. We came here for your trees. So. They head into this area that I'm not sure if it was known this at the t- known as this at the time, but it's what will become known as Wissahickon, um, which is an area inside Philadelphia. Technically, it's inside um, the Philadelphia city limits today, mm-hmm. but it's still like a good 20 minutes away from like where you would consider a city starting. I believe Wissahickon is a Native American term i believe that's where the name comes from um but it really wasn't anything until johann scalpius and his and his monks got there it was just it was literally wilderness um and there's this creek the wissahickon creek that runs through and kind of cuts this valley so today the area is the wissahickon valley park in wissahickon in philadelphia put it all together Philadelphian nesting doll. Yes. Uh, so Wissahickon is, for how close it is to the city, you would forget that you are, like, in a city. Um, we hiked there a couple times. Like, it's gorgeous. It's a it's this nice valley that's cut through by this. They call it a creek. It's a river. I don't know. We've many a times discussed what is the difference between a creek and a river. When does a creek stop being a creek? And when does it become a river? How are streams involved? I don't know. <clears throat> but this river, Wissahickon Creek, runs through it. Um it's very pretty. You all should go hiking there sometime. It's very nice. Oh. It can get very crowded, though. So we'll watch um. Anyway, so they settle here in this place that will one day become Wissahickon Valley State Park. Now it's just Wissahickon Valley. <clears throat> they set themselves up on this ridge, um, and they eventually come to be known as the Hermits of the Ridge. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's them. They sound like fucking nerds. <laughs> they are the Hermits of the Ridge. So they're they get over to Philadelphia in 1694. So they're like, okay. we got six okay. years to six get years. the fuck ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, now remember, they came over um, with 40 people because it possessed uh, a um, mystical significance to them. <clears throat> they build a tabernacle in oh. in there in that in the valley mm-hmm. that uh, was 40 square feet because 40. Um, it was, according to the journals, built on the highest point of the ridge. As of today, like, we haven't found, you know, really any remnants of it. Um, doesn't yeah. mean I'm not going to go hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, but this tabernacle also had an observatory where they practiced yes. astronomy. 
and they had a nightly vigil, 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 thinking that God would just, you know, come down from the sky and talk to them. Uh, and it was believed to be the first observatory in the New World, and they think that they even had a telescope. Wow. Yeah, so they were doing some shit out in the fucking... That's crazy. Where the fuck would they get a telescope? <laughs> they brought it in one of the 40 guys. So, sorry, can I... Ask... Jeff can come because he has the telescope. Jeff can come because he's telescope guy. <laughs> oh, really? I know, I know. I know. He's not going to come out of it. So, mind? sorry, just to clarify. Mm-hmm. Their plan was to outlast the end of the world in the wilderness, or yes. it was to die in the wilderness? It was to outlast. So the passage that this comes from in Revelation was that this woman wandered into the wilderness and set up an altar to God, and that is how she survived the apocalypse. Okay. So that was their their idea, was that they would go into the wilderness, set up their tabernacle, their altar to, to like God... Us. And they're like, oh, we will be protected from everything that's going to happen in the book of Revelations because we did what this woman did. We're the only smart people is basically what it was. But I, I love, yeah. Okay. I get it. I get it. Yeah. I would probably have pointed out to them, okay, there was only one of her. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. Um, that's another reason. So that I'm not sure where the, the number 40 comes from as being significant to them. But another reason. <clears throat> they... I guess just because it's biblically significant. Just because yeah, 40, a lot, 40, 40 days, forty days, yeah. forty, you know, whatever. That's also another reason, though, why they picked where they were looking at in Wissahickon was because it was sitting on the fortieth parallel. So they were really into this shit. Oh, I'm. Okay, I kind of. I'm gonna do a little bit of clapping for them, like to have to have a telescope and to have built an observatory and to even know what the fortieth parallel was at the time. That's kind of impressive. Yeah. No, they were learned. They came from a university. It wasn't like, you know, they, they crawled out of the wilderness. Oh, so they were all like, yeah, they were learned. So at this time, like if you were a religious person, okay. you had to have gone to university. You had to be a learned person. You didn't, you didn't. And most religious people were also like John Jacob Jingleheimer Zimmerman who died. Um, uh, were, scientists were astronomers were other things and also religious people because at the time there was no difference um right. between that right. stuff sorry i don't know i like had the idea that like he was le- learned like a couple of them were learned and then the rest was just no, like they were, followers they were learning folk i'm thinking more of like our modern idea of a cult yes right? where it goes yeah. after sort of the lowest common denominator people who yeah. don't really have much agency these people were smart for their time at least they were learned for their time they were educated they could read they could write they could do astronomy they could do math that's crazy part of this we're going to go into rumors that they could do alchemy Ooh. The fabled alchemy. Um, so, Kelpius um, lived... I don't know... <clears throat> they built huts for themselves. Kelpius himself, though, lived in a cave um, that still stands today. And you can visit it in Wissahiggin Park, the cave that he supposedly lived out of. There's a nice plaque next to it. It's called the Hermit's Glen, also known as Cave of Kelpius. Yeah. Uh, can you and I have a picnic there the yes. next time? <laughs> Yes, it's a little bit, um, you know, hidden in the woods, but it is there, and there's a plaque to it. Imagine stumbling upon this, like, not knowing it was there, and just being on a hike, and being like, what the right. fuck? I want to know what the, like, how much the plaque divulges. Or if it's just like, this is for so-and-so, or if it's like, here's the, the tea. Here's the tea. Um, one of the reasons they do also think that the tabernacle, we can't find sort of the foundations of it, is because a mansion was built over top of that area. So they're thinking maybe they took the foundations of the tabernacle and turned it into this mansion that has since also been knocked down. Um, but I'm like, what sort of ghosts were roaming in your house? I'm mm-hmm. just curious. Something tabernacle ghosts. Food for, food for thought. So they were out there for years meditating and thinking and being on the side of the river. Sure. I bet they found some shrooms. Right? Um, obviously, 1700 comes and goes. The world does not end. Um, and at that point, the monks start to disperse. They start to integrate with the, the local religious movements. They start to marry and, you know, do their own thing. They're like, well, that was weird. Anyway, bye. <laughs> Deuces. Kelpius continues to live in his cave because he's convinced that he's got it. There's, so what's his explanation when the world didn't end? Um, there was a couple different things like... 
different math in 1701 they thought something was going to happen they're like oh we had it wrong oh we just need to keep watching this guy because in 17 i want to say it was 1701 during one of their observations because literally they would go to their observatory sit and just stare all night and like wait for like god to happen in the sky they they claim to have seen a figure in white during one of these and they thought okay this is a sign that that we're right we just haven't waited long enough so you know some delusions of like, no, this has to be, this has to be true. Um, but uh, what becomes kind of, so these are the facts. These are the, the hard facts of it. Hit, hit um, here, well, those were the hard facts. Here's oh, where the story the- starts to take. These are, these are the rumors. These are the legends. Those were things that historically happened, which okay. is weird enough um, yeah. that this is happening. Now. Um, Kelpius dies in 1708 from tuberculosis, probably from living in a fucking cave. Um, this is where things like, you know, start to take on a life of their own, I guess. Because like 30 years after he died, um, one of his followers, a Daniel Geisler, um, tells uh, a local pastor, Henry Mullenberg, who is actually a fairly well-known person in the area. Uh, people will know the name Henry Mullenberg, Henry Melchior Mullenberg. This is his full title. Uh, he was a local pastor, local educator, historian. Um, so this is, I'd say that just because this is a guy who is a, a trusted source who's writing this account down. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. Um, and Daniel Geisler goes to Henry Mullenberg, and um, tells him this story about how Kelpius told him, him being Geisler, that he believed that he would not die, that he would be transformed into the Jewish prophet Elijah, um, which, you know, kind of takes on the role of essentially the leader of the cults, thinking that they are some incarnation of the divine because Elijah is the um, herald of the Messiah and all this other stuff. So Kelpius, you know, thinking... I'm going, this is what's going to, I'm going to die, but like, I'm going to become Elijah. And then, then I'm going to usher in the end of the world. Yes. Mm. So. So. He, whether that happened or not, I can't tell you, but um, he spent three days supposedly meditating um, to God on this matter, wanted to receive the transfiguration into this while he was still alive. Um, he was like, make me the prophet Elijah. Like, let's do this. Um, that didn't happen. And before Kelpius dies, he gives to Geisler a sealed box and tells him to bury it in the depths of the Schuylkill River. <laughs> um, there's some nonsense. Kel- Geisler doesn't immediately do as um, Kelpius says, but ultimately he throws it into the Schuylkill River. Yeah. Um, Do we know what was in the box? No. Um, he just, he tosses in the river. He, he goes about his business. Um, <clears throat> Kelpius dies. Kelpius is dead. Box is in the river. Hermits of the Ridge are gone. Geisler is like, what's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> so from Geisler's account, we don't know what was in the box. Obviously... Now things start to like take on the motifs of the kind of stories we tell. And obviously among the many artifacts that get passed around is to be, you know, secret things hidden in places. Mm. One prominent one is the philosopher's stone because Mm. the followers of the Society of the Woman in the Wilderness, where alchemists, a lot of people studied alchemy in those times. It was a precursor to, to chemistry, um, you know, and the idea of the elixir of, of life, the, and, you know, the, the creation of the Philosopher's Stone, this thing that, that could transform any base metal into gold and give the, a learned person everlasting life. Um, commonly known as, in the United States as the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, because of Scholastic. We don't know that if, you know, what... Kelpie's never said what was in the box. Um, you know, his journals don't say it. Geisler never looked to see what was in the box, but... 
Um, many people who believe the lore of the Philosopher's Stone, who, who trace its motifs throughout history and the possibility that, you know, there was some fabled something, um, believe that, you know, perhaps it's possible that the Sorcerer's Stone, that the, the Philosopher's Stone, rather, is um, sitting in the depths of the Schuylkill River outside Philadelphia. Wow. <clears throat> um, no one... No one's found anything. Oh. No one, you know, the cave is just a little cave. It's a little hole in the side of the, the hill. The tabernacle's gone. Um, the, the, the society of the woman in the wilderness, the hermits of the glen fade kind of into history. Um, and nobody talks about this. And no one talks about it. That's crazy. In today's day and age. They, they fade. And Henry, like Henry Molenberg is somebody who has talked about. That is a prominent known historical figure in the area who's writing down an, a, a strange account from a strange person and nobody's talking about the, about any of this. Yeah, that's crazy that, like, you know, you've lived in Philly for most of your life and that never came up. Yeah. And the only reason I found it was because I was actually looking at urban legends in another area of the city. And somebody offhandedly on this Reddit thread was like, oh, yeah, what about that doomsday cult in Wissahickon? So I googled doomsday cult in Wissahickon. And the next three hours of my life were transformative. <laughs> I was the base metal turned into gold. Oh, um, I love it. But even, like, even if you don't take, you know, the sort of more legendary accounts. The the hard facts of this are just weird. Yeah. Like, the first doomsday cult in the United States is just hanging out in what would become a state park. The, the, their, their crazy, you know, ability to do astronomy, to do numbers. Um, it's interesting because you kind of get the motifs that later come with doomsday cults. Like, they... It sounded like Kelpius kind of wanted to become that charismatic leader, figurehead, messianic person, um, but he wasn't in life. Mm-hmm. He probably killed what's his nuts. Um, you know, John he, Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. You've got you know the the isolationism, the focus on just yeah. prayer and celibacy and and loss of identity and all this other stuff. Like all the pieces are there. Even if it right. seems to be a fairly mundane, innocent, uh, cultish endeavor. Yeah, but it, it but yeah, it's it's the the that checklist now that we think of, right? Or like, is it a cult? Like, this meets all of them. Yes. Yeah. And um, the but the, you know it, it's interesting because it ends in a much more mundane way you know the the followers end up just going back to their everyday lives um after it turns out that no they were wrong and our guy dies of natural causes even if he there's a bit of a weird circumstance around the how he spent his last few days and i wonder if maybe that's why it's not all that well known because it doesn't sort of have a salacious ending mm-hmm because I mean that's that never happens now, right? It's it's bombastic. People kill themselves. Exactly. People kill each other. Anytime they're wrong about their doomsday prediction, like the cult doesn't disband. Like the leader just doubles down. You know. Yeah. And now, so Kelpius, you know, through his his secretism, his isolationism, his practice of astronomy, of alchemy. His connection, his potential connection to the idea of the Philosopher's Stone, he also gets wrapped up in... um, This is another thing I didn't know about, and again, nobody talks about it. Um, Amish occultism and Amish witchcraft, although they would not call it such a thing. Um, Mm. Like, even those things that you see, those, you know, sort of Dutch... um, Pennsylvania Dutch patterns, those circles with the colors and stuff. I'll post one on the Twitter for you guys. But those are hexes. Those are Amish hexes. Those are spells that that are are woven into these patterns by 
by the, the, the Amish makers of these things for protection, for good harvest. It's all, you know, there's, there's Amish. And I actually, for $6 on Amazon, ordered myself a grimoire of oh Amish hexes. And this is fascinating to me because my mom or my dad's side of the family is Amish. So I'm like, what the fuck, guys? Where's what? So, um, none of them have taught you any butter churning hex. I know. I want to churn some butter without having to get up. Um, yeah. so we'll tell you guys more about that as I read into it. Um, because <laughs> there are some that go back to like the 19th, 17th century about Pennsylvania Dutch mysticism, and part of it is attributed to Kelpius, um, because. The Wissahickon area becomes kind of a known center of religious weirdness because of the monks living on the side of the hill who were being weird. That has to be the cutest version of mysticism. The Pennsylvania Dutch mysticism. Pennsylvania Dutch mysticism, you can look it up. Hexing, the term hexes come from the Pennsylvania so Dutch. horrible. Yeah. Yeah, they're not trying to do anything. They're just, you know, cropping. They're just crabbing. They're just like, hey, you know what I love? I love chores. I'm going to cast a spell that I can have as many chores as possible. I want to take your chores and use them as my chores. As my chores. And then there's like a chore war. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So fascinating. Yes. This whole thing is wild. And you can look it all up. Um, You can find pictures of the cave online fairly easy. Uh, and the giant weird plaque that's next to it. Um, Hermit's Glen, which was the area in general <laughs> where they were they were thought to to uh, live. Don't worry, it's located on Hermit's Lane. It's easy to find. It's located off Hermit's Lane. That's like the closest road before you have to get out of your car and then go into the woods. Go to Hermit's Glen. Yeah. Um, that's where they ridged. Yeah, that's where they ridged. Um, but yeah, I mean, the whole thing is weird. Very weird. But that is your first Doomsday Cold America. That is the first one. It's so also like classically American, right? Like, so that's, this is how Doomsday Cults start in America. And like relatively like, okay. Yeah. No one, there were no violent ends. There's There's a hint of like. Maybe he had something to do with, you know. John Jacob Jingleheimer Smith. This is, and of course, yeah, and who knows what what went on out on the ridge day in and day. But then it's like, and then as we progress through our history as a nation, we get, you know, over 900 people dying at Jonestown and 80-some people slaughtered in Waco for the Branch Davidians and all the, the mass suicide for Heaven's Gate and what have you. And it's like, oh, shit. We take it and we run with it and we make it awful because America. Yeah. I love that we even do that with cults. Yes. Even our cults are fucking wild. Um, but yeah, that's that one. But we've got, you've got some other more obscure uh, doomsday cults. And, so, you know, I would consider this probably the most obscure doomsday cult I've ever heard of. Yeah, that's really, really obscure. So we've got some, you know, like we said, you've, Many, many of you out there probably know Waco, you know, Jonestown. Um, yeah, those are big ones that get talked about a lot. Um, when we think of cults, of course, uh, Miss Mel mentioned the the Manson family, which definitely a cult, but, an, but sort of an interesting cult, as we mentioned, because um, even though they had this sort of quasi-apocalyptic... Um, message that Charles Manson was preaching with Helter Skelter, it wasn't like, it wasn't doomsday-ish for them. You know, it was like, oh, we have to bring this about so that we can rise to the top and sort of create a new world order. Um, But another, another one that maybe people aren't as familiar with um, would be the cult of heaven's gate. Tell me more. Yes, I shall. And they were um, a, they were technically like an apocalyptic cult, but um, what Wikipedia actually defines them as, as a religious millenarian cult, Mm. Um, specifically a UFO religion. Oh, see, this is, 
There's, they blended two of the options from the beginning. Exactly, exactly. And their logo is um, absolutely hysterical. But anyway, so they were they were around in the 70s. They popped up in the mid-70s. They were led by um, this man named Marshall Applewhite. Interesting. Who was a piece of work. <laughs> and um, isn't that such a cult leader name? You Marshall know? Applewhite. Marshall Applewhite. Like... You know, I like how some of them, like, they'll change their names now, like David Koresh. Yeah, David Koresh. His real name was Vernon. Yeah. <laughs> like, calm that down, first of all. Listen, Vernon. Um, yeah, and then some of them just fit. Marshall Applewhite, unless he changed his name. I'm not, I'm not sure if that was his birth name or not. But Jim Jones. Jim Jones is such a cult leader name. Like, that, of course, fits. But anyway, um, so their jam was basically that um, the the aliens were coming. And, well, I, well, mainly that they were here, but they were also coming again. <laughs> they were here. It's like Jesus. He was here. He's coming back. Yeah, sort of. There was a lot of Gnosticism that was tied into Heaven's Gate uh, beliefs mixed with like some straight up science fiction, actually, like almost sort of quasi like, um, what's his nuts from Scientology, mm-hmm. like based his religion off of his the novels that he had written. Yeah, yeah, his science fiction novels. Yeah, and everyone was like, what the fuck? And so their whole spiel was tied into um, the Halebop comet. And their jam was that when it came by again, they were going to try and get their souls onto that comet because they believed that it wasn't actually a comet. It was an extraterrestrial spacecraft. Same. (laughs) Yeah. And so, of course, you know, they pulled from... Uh, Christian teachings and Gnostic teachings, they thought the body was temporary, but the soul was eternal. Um, And so their whole jam was like, yeah, we got to get our souls up onto that comet. And of course, I'm sure you can imagine the way that they did that. But they're really interesting because they're one of the cults that did not involve children. Interesting. Um, Yeah. Right. I mean, Jonestown, plenty of kids, uh, Branch Davidians in Waco, plenty of kids. Um, A lot of those, those weird ones out there, but Heaven's Gate didn't. So anyway, we get, we got Marshall Applewhite, right? Yeah. He gets real into biblical prophecy in the early 1970s. Um, He was teaching at the university of St. Thomas in Texas and uh, gets fired from his position there based off of um, an accusation that he was involved in a sexual relationship with one of his male students. Yeah, early 70s. I mean, the sexual revolution has begun, but, you know, in academia, not so much. Yeah. So he meets a woman named Bonnie Nettles. I know this name. Yeah. Yeah. That's a name I do know. Yeah. She's, anyway, so she's married, she's older than him, um, and she's really, really interested in um, biblical prophecy as well. She's interested in philosophy, theology, theosophy, the combination of the two. So they hit it off. Um, Oh, she was a nurse, and they just, like, met by chance at the hospital when he was there. Um, some sources say that she worked at a psychiatric hospital um, and that uh, Applewhite was admitted there as a patient, and that's how they met. But according to his personal writings, she was just a nurse at a, um, a regular hospital, and they just happened to meet by chance when he took a sick friend there. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't really matter how they met or under what circumstances. It's just the point is, was he at one point in a psychiatric hospital? Okay. So they really hit it off. She at one point tells him that they were destined to meet because, and that that this was revealed to her by extraterrestrials. And so she tells him, they told me that I have to tell you that you have a special assignment. (laughs) I know. Doesn't that always end well? 
So they start reading um, all sorts of religious scholars and studying the lives of um, famous religious figures like St. Francis of Assisi, and they read a lot of um, Blavatsky and Richard Bach, and they take their Bible with them everywhere, and they're highlighting passages uh, from the the New Testament, um, and they're reading science fiction, they're reading a lot of Arthur C. Clarke, and they're reading a lot of Robert Heinlein (sighs) parallels, and this little, like, two-person nerdy book study, (laughs) and they're going in hard with each other. And by 1974, they're like, okay, this is like, we finally figured out like what's been going on. And we're the ones that are meant to fulfill all the biblical prophecies of revelations. Okay. And yeah. If any of you guys have read revelations out there, it's, it's just all prophecies essentially about the end of the world. So they sit down and they write their little, um, this is what I'm looking for. Manifesto. Manifesto. Yeah. Um, their whole jam and they're talking about how, okay, this is what we figured out. And what we figured out is Jesus, um, has been re reincarnated. We've all been waiting for it. Me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're like, and we know that he's, well, they didn't come right out and say that it was Marshall Applewhite. They were like, he's been reincarnated as a Texan. <laughs> Everyone in Texas's like uh, personal understanding of Christianity is that in what is, is that. that to sum it up in a sentence to sum up right. So they go on in this manifesto and they talk about um, the passage about the two witnesses from Revelations, which is one of the a relatively more uh, well-known passage from Revelations. And they say that the two witnesses. Um, are referring to uh, to two UFOs that have oh that, yeah that have visited Bonnie Nettles. Interesting take. Mm-hmm. And so um, these two UFOs are eventually either going uh, to kill them and then restore them to life, or just transport them up onto the spaceship and you know take them into the next. Do they get to pick which one it is? <laughs> Who knows. And they call this eventual um, collision with the two, the two spaceships, the two UFOs, the demonstration. <laughs> with a capital D, I assume. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. So they start advertising and publishing that they're going to have meetings, and they slowly start to recruit disciples um, who they refer to as the crew, which bums out every millennial that refers to their group of friends as that now. Right. Although yeah. I love it. I've got yeah. my crew. My crew. It's better than squad. Yeah. We've, over, we've overplayed squad as a society. Squad goals. Yeah. Squad. Um, so the crew is assembled. The disciples are assembled. And Marshall and Bonnie are telling them, okay, so we're representing the two UFOs. And what they want us to tell you is that they're from another planet. And then they say, okay, what's the name of this planet? And they're like, this planet is called the next level. (sighs) Video games now coming into play. Yeah. And the species of the next level are looking to conduct experiments and they need our help. And if you participate in the experiments, you're going to be brought to a higher evolutionary level. You're going to, you know, how, you know, all that language, right? You're going to transcend, you're going to elevate you're gonna whatever you want yeah um so about a year into this they eventually reveal to the group that they've been told by uh the two witnesses the two ufos that um the bible's story of the end times is true and it's a coming it's a coming it's a coming so they book a they book a room at a hotel in Oregon. Of course, it's in Oregon. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. And once they get there, they were like, "Okay, this is sort of when we go like deep cult, right?" I mean, they didn't say that, but they um, set about selling all of their worldly possessions. They also set about um, giving all the members time to bid farewell to all of their loved ones. Okay, that's nice. 
Mm -hmm. So after this is done, then they just, they vanish from the hotel. They, they pull like a, they don't pay. They just disappear. Mm -hmm. Um, they disappear from the public eye. Uh, no one really knows what happens to them for a while. Uh, they get a story actually on, um, CBS news, Walter Cronkite, uh, reports on it. It was kind of that big of a deal because they had developed that much attention as a group. Um, and it was a big deal. It was like, where are they? They just like, it was a pretty big group of people and they just disappeared. So what happened was, is that during sort of this whole year before this, this revelation that the end times were here. And while, um, the members of the call were selling their possessions and saying goodbye to their loved ones, uh, Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles were arranging for the group to go underground. Mm -hmm. And um, they take 100 members from their crew um, across the country. They start sleeping in tents. Um, they only really have sleeping bags with them, aside from the clothes on their backs. They send out members in small groups to beg on the street to get money for whenever they absolutely need money. Um, they are completely successful at evading detection, at evading authorities. Um, and they're like, okay, this is the process of starting to move to that higher evolutionary level. Okay. Um, so we get Applewhite and Nettles start taking on a couple of different names. They start going by do and T or I guess doe and T duty. Yeah. Duty. They also start going by Bo and peep. <laughs> yeah they don't have a, a name for their their group yet really um they, they kind of reinvent themselves and rename themselves a lot over the the this sort of exodus across the nation um apple white starts talking about how he is a direct descendant of jesus um okay. so their group jumps called the evolutionary kingdom level above human. <laughs> They're going, they want to achieve whatever the level is above human. Um, and eventually they settle on heaven's gate. So that's better than the other one. What's that? That's better than the first, it's, the first it's attempt. better than the other one, right? They're, they're also recruiting as they're doing their, you know, 20 city tour across the United States. Um, they're proclaiming their gospel. They're talking about this higher evolutionary form. Um, they start uh, introducing a narrative of false gods. Um, meditation becomes a big part of their deal. And of course, always present is the divinity of the two UFOs. Yes. Always, always watching, always watching the, you know, the two witnesses. Um, that's just a lot about their beliefs and we don't have to get into that. Um, they actually assembled kind of to their credit, their crew, the crew, um, which grows and grows and grows as they're going came from a very diverse background. Uh-huh. Um, most of them uh, describe themselves and have been described by researchers that have studied Heaven's Gate as long-term truth seekers. There were spiritual hippies looking to find themselves, people from all different faiths, uh, all different cultural milieus, um, people that had once hailed from Judaism, Catholicism, evangelical Christianity, uh, the far right, the far left. Hmm. Um, yeah, at one point... Uh, they had they recruited a man named John Craig, and he was a Republican politician uh, running for the Colorado House of Representatives. So they had a fairly extensive, diverse group. Huh. Yeah, and this is pre-internet. Remember, this is the mid '70s. So a clan of you know UFO followers um, that grew to be in the hundreds was fairly impressive. Yes, but then a wrench in the plan. Nettles, Bonnie Nettles, dies in 1985. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And while she was kind of really the person that sort of kick-started this little journey 
right? You know, yeah. by, by telling Applewhite, like, I've had this vision and I've been visited by the two UFOs. Um, Applewhite is the one that takes it in the wake of her death and goes ham. He almost completely revises the group's doctrines after her death. Um, he starts incorporating a lot of... Um, sort of like technological cyber culture uh-huh. into the, into the doctrine. And now, you know, now that we're in the, the mid eighties um, and the group starts to become a lot more reclusive. Uh, they stop traveling as much. Um, they change their name for a little while and start calling themselves the higher source. <laughs> and then in the mid nineties, they develop a website. And after the creation of the website, rumors start to spread throughout the, the cult, the community, which has grown into the hundreds, that in the following couple of years, the Hale-Bopp Comet is going to show up. And that had the ultimate secret to their salvation. And it was going to soon be time to ascend huh. into the the next level human. So October 1996 rolls around. Uh, a very close circle for Applewhite comes with him to um, a big mansion that he uh, rents out that they call the monastery. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's it's relatively secluded. It's relatively quiet. It's in a um, gated using a gated community in um, California, where Rancho Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. Um, they pay for, they pay all their rent in cash, um, and at this at the same time that they they move into the monastery, they also get alien abductance abduction insurance. <laughs> To cover 50 members. Is that a thing you can do? I guess. Evidently. That will pay out $1 million per person. Um, the It covered abduction. Um, $1 and, million? Dollars? Yeah, abduction by aliens, impregnation by aliens, or death by aliens. I need to look into adding this into my health benefits at work. Yeah. Yeah. So they're there for a couple months, and then in March of 1997, Applewhite tapes himself in what he calls Doe's Final Exit. And he starts talking about mass suicide Mm -hmm. and how it's the only way for them to to leave Earth and and to get up to the comet, which is, of course, you'll remember, the spaceship. The spaceship. Coming to get them. Um, he makes all the connections to the comets, um, and that talks about when it passes, this is going to be, um, the end of Heaven's Gate. It's, it's the final chapter. Um, <laughs> and so Applewhite and 38 members of the monastery start to prepare for ritual suicide so that their souls can board the spacecraft. Um, the, the idea was that after their deaths, the UFO would pick up all the souls and and take them to next level. Of course, you'll remember that's the name of the planet. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they would and they would transform once they got there. So everyone's saying their goodbyes. They're making farewell messages and writing letters and what have you. And then it comes time for the moment. So they gather a bunch of phenobarbital. And they mix it into some applesauce. Uh, they mix it into pudding, um, and they all eat their their portioned out um, applesauce and pudding. And then they wash down the poison with vodka. Oh huh, well, you know. Yeah. Uh, after they've done that, they all take plastic bags. Oh God. Yeah, and put them around their head, and I think they tied them with shoelaces. Um, so, and, you know, obviously to induce uh, asphyxiation. Yeah. All 39 cult members and cult leader Marshall Applewhite wore identical black shirts and black sweatpants. They wore, and they also wore brand new black and white Nike Decades. 
and armbands that said Heaven's Gate Away Team. Away Team? <laughs> yep. Apparently, there was one, something I saw, it's a Star Trek reference. Because, um, you know, they incorporated yeah, so much science fiction into their yeah. doctrine. So, um, and then each of them in their uh, left pocket, I think it was the left pocket, had a $5 bill and three quarters. Um, because the $5 was supposed to cover the vacancy fines um, when members were out on jobs and the quarters were to make phone calls. So once they were dead, a remaining member, because other people were living in the monastery that didn't go with them. <laughs> they weren't part of the away team. Yeah, they weren't part of the away team. Um, removed the plastic bag from the deceased person's head and then po posed the body so that they were laying very neatly and quietly and peacefully on their bed um, and then covered their face and the upper portion of their body with purple cloth. Ooh. Yeah. So what they think is that the 21 women and 18 men that committed mass suicide did it over a period of three days in three successive days in three different groups. And then the remaining people cleaned up after each group's hmm. death. Um, and that happened in March, uh, March 20, I think 23rd to 25th of 1997. Um, what's interesting is that after the mass suicide, I mean, <laughs> it's all interesting, but in the aftermath of the mass suicide, um, which of course was highly publicized, obviously, um, the remaining members of Heaven's Gate did not back down. Um, a couple other members committed uh, suicide in the, the days and weeks after the mass suicide, just sort of on their own. Uh, a couple attempted to commit suicide but failed. Um, most of them did it in the manner similar to how the mass suicide had occurred. Um, hmm. Yeah, uh, and, you know, of course, most of them leaving notes saying they were going to, to join the group. Um, and as of today, in 2019, two surviving members from Heaven's Gate still maintain the group's website. Yeah, they refuse to identify themselves in public or to the media, but, I mean, the website still exists and it's still active and they still whatever pay the fee to maintain the domain but the website has not changed since the day of the mass suicide so it still looks like a 90s website yep somebody's just paying and the bills yes and we can post the link on twitter to that web to the website after um this episode goes up i it looks exactly like you think it does yeah so and that is the Weird story of the lesser known, um, I think, hopefully, Doomsday Call, Heaven's Gate. Huh. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this has been wild. <laughs> Informative. Yeah. Uh, relevatory, as it were. Indeed. Indeed. Cults, man. Cults. Weird cults. Obscure cults. So strange that we've just never got on cults yet. Yeah, well, here we are. Are there more cults out there you want to hear about? Well, I can tell you how you can tell us these things. Tell them how! You can email us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. You can tweet us at splatterchatter666 minus all the vowels. If that's too difficult, you can just search splatterchatter. We will pop right up. You can hit us up on Tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com, on Instagram at splatterchatter666, or Mr. Craiger's blog at splatterchatter666. Six dot dot com, uh, and he can let you know how you can become an even more involved uh, member of the Splatter Chatter fam. Hey, you can become more involved by heading on over to Patreon, our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Splatter Chatter six six six. There's all kinds of information over there about myself, Miss Mel, the show, how we created it, what we want to do with it, and of course how you can donate to the show if you um, feel so compelled to. Of course, your financial donations will be met with special rewards and perks only for you um, as a means to show our appreciation. If you uh, can't show your financial support but you still want to show some love to the show, 
We will happily take your ratings and your reviews on um, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or SoundCloud. Um, those uh, both help keep us in the respective algorithm algorithms when people are searching for cool new horror podcasts that they want to listen to. So, as we wrap up our discussion on uh, these two lesser-known doomsday cults, we turn our attention towards another scary story mm -hmm. that happened in the woods. In the woods. And it's the stuff of legend. Yes. We've, of course, long teased it. And when I say long teased it, the past couple episodes. But our next episode is going to be our supersized uh, special anniversary discussion of 1999's The Blair Witch Project. Woo! Um, as longtime listeners know, a, a favorite of Miss Mel's, um, beloved by both of us, and we're going to dig yes. deep, guys. It's going to be, it's going to be a good one. I'm excited. So be on the lookout for that. Yes. And in the meantime, don't join a cult. No, especially not like, you know, the end of the world kind. Yeah. Don't join a cult, but do keep up the creep. Yes. And until next time, we will say au revoir, adios, and dasvidaniya.